So, it's great to be here. I'm super grateful for the opportunity to come up here. So many of your church staff are old friends of mine. Those of y'all know Sam and Cynthia Powell. Sam actually baptized me back in the... um, When he was a campus minister. Even though I was married. And that was in Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, Just ran into Jimmy Rogers I've known for 100 years. Um, Javier and Kelly Meyer here. We served with them in the ministry when I was in Cali. Um, my wife and I have been disciples over 30-something years and kind of ran around. The, we've been retooled throughout all of the kingdom. And uh, so it's really cool to be able to see a lot of friends I don't get to see now that I'm in Florida. And uh, that's been awesome. But as I shared, um, Guy Hammond was going to do the class, but I, I think most of you all know that Kathy is terminally ill. They've given her days to weeks at this point. And she's been in hospice now about eight weeks. And so it's been thought within strength and weakness and within the ministry in Toronto, he needs to be right there because it could be any moment that she passes. And that's been a heartbreaking and a heartwarming thing to watch. Um, Heartbreaking because you imagine your spouse watching them die. Um, Heartwarming to see how she has attacked this, looking forward to seeing Jesus. You know, she's been the encourager because she feels like I have run my race and I am ready, there's no fear. And if all of us can approach death like that when we know it's imminent, now we know it's coming, but we don't always know the imminency of it. And we don't always have someone that says, here's your clock. And, uh, but to say, no, my faith in Jesus is strong. So if y'all would continue to pray for them, that would be awesome. And so, tell you a little bit about strength and weakness. Um, The ministry, if you don't know much about it, you probably already do, has three main purposes. One is to help Christians with unwanted same-sex attraction. Secondly, to help parents who have gay children, LGBT children. Third is to really serve as an education tool for the churches, helping to educate Christians on what is really a very, very complex topic um, between same-sex attraction, sexual identity, and also transgender issues. We, we deal with that. Uh, this is our staff. Everybody knows Guy and Kathy, um, but this is the rest of our Motley crew that handle much and many things. Again, Guy and Kathy Hammond are the ones that started Strength and Weakness uh, many years ago. He just hoped he could help about 30 Christians, and now we've helped thousands of Christians around the world uh, who deal with same-sex attraction issues, and that's not even talking about the families we work with who have to deal with same-sex attraction or LGBT issues in their children. Within our ministry, we have Brandon Redler. Uh, Brandon is an incredible young man. Brandon leads our transgender ministry. When he came to church as a visitor, he came as a a fully transitioned transgender woman. He was fully transitioned. That means everything. He went through the surgeries at all. Living as a woman, studied the Bible, realized he was wrong, God was right. And went back to living as a man. Now leads our transgender ministry, doing incredibly well. Uh, He was converted in Orlando. Now he's at Turning Point in L.A. Um, He just got a really cool job with Netflix, stolen from Disney. Uh, Mike Yeager leads our teen and campus ministries, uh, doing a phenomenal job. He's kind of in that real millennial space, 
that all of us old folks try to run from. Uh, Morgan Roberts is over in San Diego. She and her husband uh, lead. She's the director of our women's ministries, but also over all our support groups. And uh, they're doing a great job out there. They help set up and lead all of our same-sex attracted men women support groups. And then, of course, um, you see two beautiful ladies and, a, and another person. Uh, that's me and my wife, Deb. Uh, we oversee the parent and family side of Strength and Weakness Ministries. We work with parents who have LGBT kids. Um, and we also help work with churches in how to deal with members and family members who have LGBT issues. Uh, that's Kathy McBrien. She's in Toronto. She helps lead our ministry. She comes from a very unique space. Her mother was gay and her daughter is gay. So she knows as a child and as a parent. Uh, so she comes from a very, very unique space. Let me give you a little background about Deb and I, about me. I was born in Philadelphia, so I am a Northeasterner. Uh, born and raised in Philly. I just ran south because I got tired of the snow. And moved to Tallahassee with the Florida A&M University. Um, most people, I didn't know what that was till I went. I thought I was in Miami, but I was in Tallahassee. I was originally, I majored in music, <clears throat> Marching 100, for those of y'all know anything about FAM. Uh, then got, got out of there, ended up graduating with a degree in applied math with a minor in organic chemistry and a minor in music. Um, I am, uh, I'm left and right brained, which is strange. So I'm artistic on one side, but I'm very specific on another. Um, so you just have to decide which one you're going to get today. Um, I met my wife, Deb, who you see there, uh, in chemistry. She was a senior. I was a sophomore. So I proved that I was going to be a great salesman in the future. And uh, we were both converted after we got married. And in Tallahassee, Florida, in the campus church. Sam Powell was a campus minister. Sam and Cynthia became really great friends. We left there and went to Atlanta after college, where I worked for the Bell System Designing Voice and Data Networks. Did that for a while. I was there in the church with Sam and Jerry Lang. I know many of y'all know Sam and Jerry Lang. And so he had just started the church in Atlanta. And so Deb and I were with him for about five years. And then eventually he put a team together to plant the church in South Florida, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach. We were asked to go into the ministry then. That was in 89. And we went and planted the North Miami Church. And uh, 80, 91, Deb and I were appointed evangelist and women's ministry leader. From there, we've served in Nashville. We've served in L.A. Um, we've served in Orange County, California. And now we're back in Tallahassee. Um, out of the ministry. Been out of the ministry since 03. My wife's health gets a little tenuous. She's a three-time cancer survivor. Um, and so we felt it was best and so came back and God has done phenomenal things that has done things in our life that just I would never have understood and um, so being out of the ministry now I serve the state of Florida on the Department of Education I'm the Assistant Deputy Commissioner of Data Systems for the state of Florida I'm also a John Maxwell speaker teacher coach serve in the church, work on the board, and then Deb and I together have been with Strength and Weakness about six years uh, leading the parent and family ministry. And you say, why are we leading the parent and family ministry? Because we have three kids. And those three kids are right there. As you can tell, God blessed them to get their mother's looks. Uh, that was all I ever prayed while she was carrying them. Please let them be beautiful children. 
and look like their mother. Just have a little of my head. Um, the little girl with the glasses and the giant boy in the back are twins, uh, 26 years old. And the one next to my wife is our oldest, 32. And the reason that guy approached us is that eventually um, my two girls, both the daughters, are married to those two women. And uh, that's why it puts us in a very unique space. So we, that's what did it. Um, understand that was challenging. It's been a challenging ride, but it's one that God has used to really teach Deb and I things that I don't think we'd ever have learned as Christians. Um, and an opportunity to help those that deal with the same issues. Our relationship with our girls right now is better than it ever was before we knew they were gay or lesbian. Um, and our relationship with their partners is, has become incredibly close. We are considered a family. Period. Period. And they are our kids just as much. And so all decisions, the five have to get together. Um, and so we make them feel loved. And uh, so, you know, but I can tell you, it's not the life we plan for us as Christians, but we believe it's the one that God has laid out for us to live. And uh, I'll also say this to try to help you understand that none of us knows what is around the corner for us or our families or any members of our, king, uh, of our congregations. And when it comes to this area of same-sex attraction, please understand it's not a question of when you will have to deal with it. It's a question of are you dealing with it? Because it's there. It's being dealt with. Because here's the thing. Same-sex attracted Christians are in your church. Okay, I've talked to ministers that say, we don't have that. I go, I wish I could tell you, I'm dealing with five of your members right now. Right. Yeah, it's there. It's there and it's not going to go away. There are brothers and sisters and parents around the world who still live in fear and seclusion in the one place this should never be happening. Jesus Church. The fear lies in the knowledge that many have carried their sinful, homophobic attitudes that were things they held in the world, they brought them into the church. And that's why, that's why there's fear for those that struggle and deal with these issues. For the same-sex attracted disciple, this means that not only was the world not a safe place, but now neither is the church. And Jesus' church... If it's not a safe place for someone, where else in the world will it be that they can find a safe place, you know? And so as, a, as and I don't know what your role is, but I'm, I'm thinking you want to see how can we start that kind of ministry or be more aware of that ministry. Some of y'all, how many are in the ministry? Okay, how many, how many are leaders in your church? Okay, good. Because you understand, what, 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 what we try to help in the ministry building side is that you have been given a privilege of helping your, your Christian brothers and sisters and families know that they do not need to fight this battle alone. And if you're same-sex attracted, you don't have to fight this battle alone. And that there should be no longer any fear of rejection or being stigmatized that all that's within God's church is groundless. Those are feelings that are groundless. And that the, the, you've got to decide that we will be the people that open wide our arms and hearts to show real love, real compassion, real acceptance, 
in a matter that is equal to Jesus. Because our reaction to this subject has got to be filtered through the lens of our Lord. Amen? And that's important. So, so much of what Dev and I, <clears throat> that helped Dev and I weather those early storms, because there was no strength and weakness when we went through it 25 years ago. Um, what helped us weather the storm with our girls was really the love and compassion and the grace of those in our local church. And it, not only their love for us, but their love for our kids. That's, re that's really what helped us make it through. And being in an environment that we never once were led to feel that our position or our jobs in the ministry were in jeopardy. We were never once led to feel that. And this was before there was a strength and weakness. Now, to the disciple dealing with same-sex gender attractions as their everyday reality, and for families dealing with these LGBT kids, there are some things we believe are foundational to building a ministry and a culture within your church. Let's give you some of the stats. The first one is, we do need to uphold a biblical sexual ethic. The Bible is clear on its sexual ethic. Is homosexuality a sin? Yes, it is. Here are some of the scriptures that talk about it. You know it. Um, but these are the only ones that really directly talk about homosexuality. And we really understand and believe that any kind of sexual intimacy out of heterosexual relationship with a man and woman bound in marriage is sinful. That's what strength and weakness believes. We believe in the biblical sexual ethic. We're not trying to open up and broaden God's word. It is what it is. When it comes to the biblical worldview, heterosexual monogamous relationship, as first presented in Genesis, is the only model of sexual behavior consistently praised in both the Old and New Testament. Now, while it's true that other forms of sexual behavior like polygamy are allowed in the Old Testament, a committed relationship between husband and wife is the standard that is upheld as the ideal throughout all of Scripture. And not once is homosexuality ever praised or left as an example of something that should be emulated by God's followers. Now, although we only have five real scriptures to work with, there's a lot we can learn from those five scriptures. These scriptures, as you look at them, come from both the Old and the New Testament. They're written thousands of years apart, and they're written from highly different cultures. They're not all from the culture of that time. And why do I say that's important? Because today people will say that the Bible is old and out of touch with any of today's new cultural ideals. And it's thousands of years old. So we cannot depend on it when it comes to sexual ethics. That's what people want to say. But see, these scriptures are written thousands of years apart by different cultures. And what we feel is it believes to show us that on some issues, and the sexual ethic is one of them, these things supersede time and culture. Now understand, this is not a popular message today. But we can't change as disciples what the Bible says just because it's inconvenient for some people out there 
or because it seems out of step with today's culture. Okay? So how do we apply that? Well, understand, this whole issue of same-sex attraction, homosexuality, LGBT, it's a complex issue. And we don't have all the answers. You won't leave here with all the answers to every question you have. Because tomorrow you're going to have more questions, by the way. <laughs> and I'm not, we're not going to, strength and weakness, Guy and Kathy, us, any of our staff, we're not going to say we got all the answers. God's leading this one. We, we pray hard every day how to deal with what we deal with. He says, but, but you'll leave here, I hope today, with things that we can all agree on and that can help you start. Is that okay with you? Because one thing we can agree on is that every person needs to be treated with dignity, kindness, respect, regardless of what they're attracted to, what they believe, or how they decide to live their life. That's one thing we can agree on. That's the first thing. We got to have a biblical sexual ethic. The second thing is we got to build a culture and help us understand and get a conviction that homosexuality is not the worst of all sins. Okay? Although it has often been treated that way by many Christians. The Bible does not single out homosexuality as a unique sin. It's not the unforgivable sin. And it's not been singled out as this, this unique sin that God hates more than any other sin. Some Christians need to go through a cultural shift on their views of homosexuality. See, while actively being involved in homosexual, homosexuality is a sin, to God, it is just as evil as being greedy, lying, or any kind of heterosexual sin. That's God's and biblical view. We need to have an appreciation for the fact that all Christians have their own unique issues and struggles. They have their own unique sinful natures. And they have their own unique temptations to go through. Many disciples, regardless of their orientation, show their different areas of brokenness through sexual dysfunction. And sexual brokenness is hardly exclusive to a same gender attracted person. If you read 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20, Matthew 5, 27 through 28, those will show you people, all of us, have to deal with sometimes dysfunction sexually, no matter who or what we're attracted to. But first you need to understand, homosexuality is not the worst of all sins. Because actually, you have five scriptures in the Bible on homosexuality, but you got over 900 on pride. <laughs> and for us old folks, I don't know how many times I've seen a brother or a sister stand at the pulpit and joke about being a prideful dog. When if you ask me, my own opinion, pride is the root of a ton of other things that can take you down. Why would I joke about pride? But we want to condemn this one simple, this one other area. Because sometimes we lose sight of all sin is sin in the way we live. But so that's why it's important. First, it's not the worst of all sins. And we need to understand that. Another one that is kind of will be controversial, same-sex attraction 
is not a choice. Now, I know we're getting into the area of causation. You know, were we born that way? Did something turn us that way? And it is, that's such a complex issue. There's no way that could be a class weekend seminar all on its own. So I can't get deep into the topic of causation. What we can talk about, I can talk about, is understanding as we have studied the area, dealt with people, worked with people who are same-sex attracted in and out the kingdom, this attraction, same-sex attraction, is not a choice. Please understand that a Christian man or woman who is same-gender attracted may never have consciously chose to be this way. Pretty much all of those that we deal with never have. With all of the shame, the embarrassment, isolation, rejection that's often involved for those who live with same-sex attraction daily, who on earth would actually choose to live like that, given a choice? Many become aware of their homosexual feelings when they hit pure puberty. But that's no different than when those of us not same-sex attraction attracted became aware of our own feelings for another, for a gender. When we reached purity, it was not a conscious choice. It just was what it was. You know, we, I've, I've talked to many and I go, you know, here's for me. Why did I, when did I make a decision to like women? I have, I didn't. I, I didn't. It just, I don't, you know, what, what I like and not like, what I'm attracted to and not attracted to, you know, I don't remember, I never made a conscious choice. It's just what it was. Why did I like Deb? Why was I attracted to Deb and not the five women she was with in that group when we met? Because I was. <laughs> now, praise God, as a non-Christian, I made the greatest decision of my life other than becoming a Christian. You know, we've been married now, almost be 38 years in December. But, uh, you know, but I go, what was it? It was a bunch of, I don't know, it was a bunch of stuff. It just happened. I mean, and, you know, but I think that's, you understand that. It, we don't see this as something that they have chosen. Also, please then do not think that it is something that someone can change by just trying harder. Or by just repenting. I can't repent of death. My attraction to death. It ain't going nowhere. And, do, and please, if you're working with, the, with anyone, please do not promise healing provided if someone just has more faith. Okay? And don't suggest that they will get over it by just going on more dates. The issue is much more complex and much more multi-layered than that. Although I believe that God can intervene in a person's life, and God can change anything he chooses to, and that he can change unwanted gender attraction, often he chooses not to. But understand, we have to understand that it's not a choice. Next, we have to have realistic expectations. It is not our responsibility to change someone's sexual orientation. Nor should it be our goal. If the Lord sees fit to bring about change in what someone is attracted to, then praise holy God. But understand that 
The person, the disciple or your friend may very well be attracted to the same gender for the rest of their lives. And let me tell you, that is fine. Guy Hammond was converted in his 20s. Since that time, he has not been involved in any homosexual activity at all as a faithful disciple. Mary Kathy, they have four beautiful children, incredible. But he is still as attracted to men today as he was before. He chooses to live life as a disciple, though. So we can't go, we got to have realistic expectations. The goal for anyone who lives with unwanted same-gender attraction is not heterosexuality. See, the goal is not to stop being homosexual and become heterosexual. The goal is to become holy. But isn't that all of our goals? Isn't that all of our goals? Mm -hmm. Help them to love the freedom that they have every day to no longer be slaves to their emotions and temptations and to choose another path for their lives by following Jesus. Help them in their daily walk to be self-controlled, prayerful, and obedient to God, regardless of what their emotions or their hormones and feelings are telling them to do. How is that different than how we live? How is it different? Not. We all have been called to that standard of God. And a same-sex attracted Christian can live the same way. Next, help them see themselves as God sees them. So many times, we can lose sight of God's identity for us. One of the most challenging things for a same-sex attracted Christian that they have to deal with is the mountain of negative self-talk that is allowed to roam in their minds. Satan is a liar, and lying is his native tongue, and he lies to us, and he lies to them in very specific ways. He's called the accuser. In a normal day, our same-sex attracted brothers and sisters can run through thought patterns like this. I can't be loved by God or anybody else being attracted to the same sex. There's something wrong with me and I can't change this. God has made a mistake. If only others knew the real me, they would never love me or be my friend. This runs through some of our brothers and sisters' heads. When someone thinks this way, they have allowed their same gender attraction to become their identity. We need to be people that help them believe that Jesus needs to be their identity. Their sexual orientation is only a small corner of their life. It is incredibly unhealthy, not to mention unbiblical, to allow it to monopolize and dominate so much of their thought patterns. Because Jesus is our identity. Also, and more significantly, this is not how God wants his children to think of themselves. To God, all Christians, regardless of their sexual orientation, are known as the apple of God's eye, his treasured possession, and his sons and daughters. As followers of Jesus, they are as holy as God himself, if they're followers of Jesus, and clothed in the purity of Christ. That's the true identity. And some of us struggle with that, don't we? But that's, that's, our identity is found in Jesus. 
And for a same-sex attracted Christian, that is important. Next, be sensitive and thoughtful in your communication. You know, tons of well-meaning Christians have given some of the most <laughs> ridiculous, unthoughtful, and simplistic answers to, to our same-sex attracted brothers and sisters. Trying to help. You know, wear tighter pants. Date more girls. Play more sports. Look at heterosexual porn. Pray harder. Have more faith. I'm not making this stuff up. This is advice they're getting in the kingdom. Well-meaning. Just wrong. <laughs> Please understand that sexual identity issues are very multi-layered and incredibly complex. And you are trying to help someone who has a lifetime of experience. A lifetime of thoughts and emotions that to them are incredibly, incredibly real. Naive answers to such emotional and multifaceted issues of the heart are offensive. When in doubt, it is never wrong to say, I don't, I don't know. I know this is difficult for you. I don't have an answer for you right now, but I know this. I love you. I respect you. And I am honored that you trust me enough to share this with me. I am here for you, and we'll get through this together. Can we do that? Think, be sensitive to what you say. And in our churches, we got to be sensitive to what comes from the pulpit. We got to be sensitive about jokes, comments. Those things are hurtful. I can't tell you how many parents and kids. And same-sex attracted Christians, we get calls from saying, this just happened Sunday. This was just kind of said. Incredible. Next, create an environment where it's easy to be open and transparent. Let me tell you something. If our same-sex attracted kids have nowhere to go, Satan will open up doors for them, a place for them to be. When mentoring or helping a same-sex attracted person, remember that sins and temptations will be confessed that you may have never personally experienced or even considered. There may be things that you personally feel are horrible, but it is, in, it is crucial. Let me say this again. It's crucial that you do not let your personal views on these acts or thoughts come through in your words, tones, or actions. We've got to allow people to have an environment to be open and transparent because if they can't be, they will underground on you and Satan has opened the door and taken over. Right. Jesus was, I, I really believe, Jesus was, no, there's no doubt in my mind, Jesus was repulsed by many of the sins that others committed around him. But I don't see anywhere did he allow that to transfer over in how he treated the people. If anything, it was individuals like that that Jesus pulled in even closer to have impact. We should be more like him that way. The person you're helping needs to know that they can freely confess and just talk about anything with you without you pulling away or rejecting them in any kind of way. 
In fact, there will never be a time when they need to feel your love and acceptance more than when they have laid their hearts out on the table in what they're dealing with. They, on, they will only feel free to return to you again if you build this environment and, and if they really believe that you love them unconditionally and that you are a safe place for them to talk freely. It's got to be a safe place that we build. You simply must be a safe and secure confidant. If you feel like you need assistance or would like to pull someone else in, you need to ask the person or tell the person you're helping first. If, in your opinion, your friend is doing something that is hurting himself or someone else, or after a period of time just not repenting, then go to a spiritually mature person to get the help. But I would say even then, I wouldn't do it without informing my friend first, my, my brother and sister first, that I'm, i got to go get you help. And, it's gotta be, and that's important, because between building that open environment and becoming a safe place, that's the things that will allow for God's change and healing and God's work in people's hearts. But if I don't feel like, well, no matter what I'm dealing with, if I don't feel like I have a safe place, I'm not going to be open. If I feel like if I tell you it's going to get all over the world, I'm not going to be open. Right. That ain't got nothing to do with same-sex attraction. That has to do with am I a disciple of Jesus and am I living as someone helping to... to, to to help others. Those are the ground rules we should all be playing with. Right? And it's super important to understand that because there's still a lot of fear of people out there. And it's not just same-sex attracted Christians. It's also same parents with same-sex attracted or LGBT children. Just this last year, we, Deb and I get crisis calls monthly from people who just find out about their kids. One parent calls and said, talks about something that was said there. We get another parent. We talk for about an hour. They had just found out they were dealing. These are 20-year Christians. They've been 20 years in the faith. They're not babies. They're not this weakers. Kid just came out and said, hey, I'm gay. This is my life. They're trying to deal with it. We're working through. At the very end, after an hour and a half talk, kind of said, well, you know, anything else? Silence. I said, no. Is there anything else? We hear the man and woman both sobbing on the phone. They said, we got one question, and we're scared to ask. What is it? If my leaders find out that my kid is gay, will they kick me out the church? What kind of question is that in the church of Jesus? If my leaders find out that my kid is gay, Will they kick me out the church? I didn't know how to answer that. Because I can't even understand where you come from that you think that's a possibility. But wherever they are, they think that's a possibility. Because that culture has been created right. unknowingly. That's why it's important for us to be careful with what we say. Are we displaying Jesus or are we dis displaying our ideologies that we gathered from the world? Next, last, teach them to have healthy same-gender friendships. Um, I think that's just important that 
they don't have men and women who come from a homosexual past most often do not know how to build or sustain a healthy non-sexual friendship with someone of the same gender. And many of them have found it difficult to find acceptance or know how to relate within their own gender. And some of them felt very isolated and insecure around other men if they're gay or other women if they're lesbian. We can, as we work with them, we've got to help them to learn how to have healthy relationships. These are, you know, these are things that I think welcome them into activities, welcome them into helping to um, treating them as you would any other person of the same gender, you know, not trying to be special treatment to them, allowing them to learn from you as they watch you interact with someone of the same gender, your friends and your peers. That'll help them to tremendously learn how to fit in and build godly same gender relationships. Now, I know that we couldn't do a deep dive in an hour, but these are just a few of the foundational things that we at Strength and Weakness feel need to be understood and implemented. Now, if you're thinking of starting a ministry or a group, a same-sex attraction ministry or a parenting group to help support those in your congregation, especially with same-sex attraction, here are some practicals that I think we need to consider. First of all, for any same-sex attractive ministry to work, your lead evangelists, your church leaders must be supportive and on board. This ain't something you can just kind of throw in there in the middle and nobody know. It's got to be something they are behind. It will not work if they are not behind it. The church must be aware the ministry exists. It can't be the secret society in the kingdom. Now, who may be in it? May not be known. But the fact that it exists, the church needs to know this is one of our ministries. It needs to be aware that it's there. And we need to communicate with the church the need, the, what, communicate why we have it and what the need is. That it's not just a new flavor of the month ministry. That we're not doing it because. New York did it. There is a need in my congregation for this ministry. And it needs to be talked about and supported from a congregational basis. This is a very important one. If you're thinking about starting a, a support group or um, a ministry in your church, connect with those of us in strength and weakness for the support and training that I think can help it be successful. That's super important. As you're doing it, make sure that, the, that you build a structure and that you set up a structure to help the ministry thrive so that it doesn't just spark and die. You've got you to make sure you start, you plan and do the structure. Create opportunity for people to join. Talk about it. Market it. You know, um, in San Diego, I know one thing that Morgan does a lot. They have Morgan periodically come up on a midweek um, and talk about the strength and weakness support groups to let people because we don't because you know as people come they don't new people don't know what all exists and you may have visitors or family members that come that this would be a way to connect them to the church and then connect them to Jesus that makes sense mm -hmm. and so be sure you create opportunities next same sex attracted groups 
really work best if they're online and not face-to-face. They work best if they're online because there is a unique challenge with this particular temptation. And face-to-face tends to be be unwise and has not worked because you're pulling us up, you're pulling them in, in together who have the same similar struggle, very different than like a CR group. Because you know addiction kind of is multifaceted. You're bringing a group of people who are all attra- who all struggle with being attracted to the same gender with all the others who are struggling with attraction for the same gender. Does that make sense? So it's, it, it works better online than face-to-face for the protection of the emotions and the opportunities Satan may use in, in what is a unique and, and confusing space. Does that make sense? Now, but what we do believe is parenting groups should be face-to-face. They can't be virtual. I mean, we run a virtual one every other month. Um, we have over 200 families that we work with around the world and so I do a virtual one because I can't have everybody come to Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, they would all want to, but they can't. And so we do a parenting call every even month. And then I have a, a very secret Facebook page that we communicate through. And then I have a listserv. We have a different ways um, so that we can connect. And then those that are in different local churches, I know they're working to connect on those things. We're building satellite groups for local groups. And then Deb and I do parent and family workshops. Um, so we find parent groups work good face-to-face within a local church. Same-sex attractive groups work better online. And lastly, plan, plan, plan. If you're going to start a ministry, same-sex attractive Christians or families, it's important to be sure you plan things like schedule. And I know these are, seem like elementary issues, but sometimes we're not good at the elementary parts. <laughs> you know, I'm in the education space, and I see that all the time. Uh, schedule, curriculum, that we're getting together, and we're going to do what? <laughs> How are we going to learn and help and do? Curriculum, what are the guidelines within these groups? You know, we, just like we should have guidelines in any of our small groups. But what's the guidelines? Especially in this space, it's important to have guidelines. And, uh, but that's what we in Strength and Weakness can do to help you. Because we have support groups going on. We have the workshop. And we need to understand as we approach any of this, that's what should be binding it all together. Our love like Jesus loves. And that's the overarching thing that should bind everything we do as we work with our brothers and sisters or people that come or family members. we got to start with love. And I'm going to talk a lot about that at three. Um, and that will be a little, one of the pieces. Now, how can we help you? We have established ongoing support groups already. So if you know of people in your ministry or if you... You can connect to one of our existing um, support groups if you're same-sex attracted or have same-sex attracted brothers and sisters that you're working with because we, we, we feel that online, virtual is better. It doesn't matter where you are. Okay, So we have men and, men and women support groups going up. I showed you earlier. Morgan runs those. Um, we already have that. We can, we can help create new support groups uh, if the need is there within your local area. So you just have to let us know. 
We have parenting. We have a parenting ministry in place now that they can easily hook up to. Um, I'll have how you can do that on the on one of my last slides. I think in this one. If not, I'll definitely have it at three. But I think it's on this one. Um, I have so many slides. See, I killed you. Pe- death by PowerPoint. Um, and we can also come to your church. Hopefully, you haven't. Y'all still breathing. Uh, you can come. We can come to your church for workshops. And we found this to be very, very effective. It helps in awareness within your ministries as a whole. Um, and it also can, we can do some very specialized work and see what is the, what's the dynamic in your congregation. And it also gives us a chance, if you need help helping your ministry staff or leader, lead evangelist or lead minister, uh, get more on board and more understanding and more support and also understand he, doesn't have, he or she doesn't have to do the work, um, we can help with that while we're there too. And so these are some of the workshops we can do, uh, help and support for same-sex attracted and, and a whole weekend or workshop, how to, everything from helping same-sex attracted Christians, but also helping to, uh, people understand how to study with same-sex attracted Christians. Um, starting how to start men and women support groups. We can actually do workshops right on-prem for you to help you get wade through the, the myriad of things that to consider and decide and those kind of issues. Um, they, dealing with transgender issues, um, Brandon does an incredible job. He just came back from a five-city run in Brazil um, working and dealing in that space. He has an incredible story. He does a great job. And then, of course, Deb and I uh, can come in and do parent and family ministry workshops. It is interesting. Out of all of strength and weakness, that's the fastest growing ministry in all of strength and weakness. We never expected that to be it. Um, and what I'm finding is it really, the space that Deb and I are, are seeing that God is moving us into is not just how to deal with children, who, parents who have same-sex attracted Christians or family members, but because we are not specifically a part of the same-sex attracted um, community, uh, that's not our struggle. Um, I've got my own unique ones. Um, we have uh, really believed been given an opportunity by God of helping the majority of people deal with this area in their own thinking and hearts and reactions. Because we understand. The reason a guy asked us to do this is because we did all the wrong things first. We alienated our kids. We said the stupid stuff. We, you know, I acted a fool. You know, I know that's it's just hard for you to believe that I would even do that. Yes, I would do that. Um, you know, we said the harsh words. We ignored. We, I mean, we went through the whole, there was no, we didn't know what we were doing. And then God had to change us. And so we speak from a position of weakness and of the power of God to change those who work with those. And it really has changed my outlook, especially coming from an inner city world. Um, it was easy to bring those early thoughts on this subject with me into the kingdom and think they were righteous. Because, uh, of course, my thoughts are righteous because they're mine, right? That's <laughs> stupid. Um, <laughs> you know, and there's no specific scripture to tell me I'm wrong, right? Because <laughs> yeah, I'm not applying the love one real well. Um, and so we, I really had to rethink, and I think God has moved us to learn things we would have never learned. Um, the big three we're going to talk about at three 
I'm going to talk about it three. Um, but it has forced me. Now I have um, LGBT friends outside of the kingdom that know exactly where I stand on the issue, though. They know I know. That's not God's plan for your life. But I love you. And if you ever decide to play by God's rules, I'll show you how to live that way. But you don't play by God's rules, so I can't hold you to God's rules. Because you not accepted Jesus. So why am I going to treat you like you should live for Jesus? That doesn't even make sense to me. And a lot of other things do. I'm just kidding. Um, but it has allowed me to use them as a resource. And so there are times I've been able to talk with them and say, hey, as a kid going through this, what was it like? And they're very open about it because they know what Deb and I are doing. And they respect the fact that even though they've made that choice, they know there are those who follow God and want to not live like that. And they said, that's good. And if you're able to help them, let me help you help them. And it, I would have never. <laughs> that wouldn't have been my thing. You know, but God has changed to say, wait a minute, I need to teach everybody love because I may say something that one day makes them, because I don't know where their life's going in the future. I don't know where my kid's life is going in the future, but one day something may happen and they go, wait a minute. This is not, this is not it. I want to make sure that they know where to come if and when God moves in that way. I want them to think, Bowen. And if Bowen ain't still alive, where's Bowen's church? Because they love me when I thought I was right. They'll help me get my thinking right now. That make sense? Yes. And that's what, we, that's what our desire is. God controls the changing of a heart. You know, all we're called to do is follow him. Then we're called to be transformed by him and to join him in his mission. But it says, we have a job, the other person has a job, and God has a job. And so many times, we want to do God's job. So we don't learn to be good at our job. And our job is the love. Thank you.